I think about us, the three of us, what we could be. I think about it all the time. Please, it's terrible. No, it's not. I know Jim. She's my friend. I care about her. How's your day going? You look pretty. Thanks. I wore it just for you. Her father's a driver named Nick. He helped me to survive. Yes, you can, because I can't lose you. I'm not gonna let anything happen to you. What about you? Your girlfriend is a badass. Welcome to Above the Garage, a Nick and June, The Handmaid's Tale podcast. Hi friends, welcome to our spoiler-full deep dive into Season 1, Episode 2 of The Handmaid's Tale, entitled Birthday. This episode is intended for longtime fans because we're going to discuss the episode in the context of the show to date, which is through Season 4. So if you're a new watcher, I would not listen to this episode. I would go and find the spoiler-free analysis that we released on Monday. So the schedule is Mondays for spoiler-free analysis and Wednesdays for the spoiler-full deep dives. Let's do our round of introductions and dive in. Hi, I'm Dee Dee. Hi, I'm Scarlett. Hi, I'm Tina. Hi, I'm Violet. And I'm Kate. All right, spoiler full. Do you guys have a lot on this? I'm mm-hmm. curious. One small parallel before I forget um, that I found um, in this episode was at the beginning with her voiceover. Um, she's obviously, in, it starts with her disassociating because it's another ceremony and she's looking at the ceiling and she's like blue blue oyster our car was blue Mm -hmm. um and then in season four after her testimony she does the same thing she looks up you know in the sky and she says the same thing you know blue uh blue oyster yeah yeah Um, and I think she she had just gotten out from her second testimony the one that was going to be filmed and there was nobody there which is fucking infuriating yeah yeah, that's really an interesting like place for them to have had her think think back on that. And you would think she's in Canada, she wouldn't have any need to disassociate in that way anymore, but she still did. She still felt the need because she wasn't safe. Yeah, it wasn't what she thought it would be. I mean, I guess also if she had just if it was just after the testimony, then she had just kind of relived everything too. Yeah. That she went through. And I think that's that's the connection between, you know, she's disassociating from the fact that Fred's going to be free and she's not going to get her justice. And just imagine for any, you know, rape victim that actually has the bravery to come forward and go through the whole justice system to try and get justice and get ripped apart only to find out that you're not going to get justice. You know, the ceremony and then disassociating from the result of the ceremony you know like I think those two things were a good parallel there's also a part at the beginning when Emily and June are talking and in June's voiceover she talks about you know them now you know they're fighting in the streets of what used to be Chicago and I my brain immediately was like Chicago Mm -hmm. like they Mm -hmm. planted that breadcrumb really early Mm -hmm. that Chicago was where the fighting was but it really did um like you know, piqued my interest. I was like, oh, wow. They had been planning to do something with Chicago for a very, very long time. And I, I hope, I pray that we're going to go back and see it later. Another Probably thing not. I would like to speculate, and maybe Dee Dee will get into this because it goes into her favorite thing, which is Rebel Nick. But, you know, Avglen knows there's an eye in the house, right? How does she know there's an eye? Is it, is it because she knows Nick, like, because they're both rebels? You know, like... Does she know he's an I because he's a double agent and he's feeding information? Are they in the same Mayday network? That's something I kind of wondered about. I mean, and it might not be, but. I don't think Emily knows who it is for sure, though, right? Because she would have just told you that if she knew for sure. That's true. Especially if she knew he was safe. Like I I just like. I thought it was very interesting that um, the idea is that like everybody is on edge and. So Nick knows what's going on because he, I don't know if the eyes have like a daily memo of like, who's going to get fucking body parts taken off that day or like, you know, they have their morning devotional and then like, okay, we're rounding up these five people. And like, of Glenn, Emily was on that list and that's why Nick is telling, and she's, she's on that list for being gay. Right. And Nick is like, please don't like disappear around corners with a gender a known gender traitor who's about to get hauled in 
they're going to think that you're gay too and they're going to fucking kill you. Like that's like always Nick's motivation is like, don't show your skin. They're going to kill you. Like, don't be in the kitchen after bedtime. They're going to kill you. Like, and that was kind of the way the uh, questioning goes, right? When the eyes beat up June in Serena's living room is they're kind of like a lot of privacy by the river. What'd you guys talk about? You know, like they, that's where they were going with that. And that's kind of what Nick was trying to say is like, don't, get close to her like she's fucked she's gonna they know they know what she's doing i like that they both warned each other about each other and then we get to the finale of season four they are all trusting each other at that point right like emily is trusting june that nick is safe because she's basically going back into gilead for this i think it's just a testament to how deep undercover nick is right like that line he needs he's so deep undercover he needs a tube to breathe it's like yeah, he's an eye and he's Mayday, but like the eyes don't know he's Mayday and Mayday doesn't know he's an eye. And like, how the fuck does someone even run games like that? Like, that is so complicated that like... I guess Mayday could know he's an eye. And I, think right? the other, I, mean... I think the other reason that Emily's confused is because she's like, that's nice of... Like, it's it doesn't jive in her brain that like, why is he trying to protect you yeah that's absolutely true if he's an eye if he's an eye why is he helping you and telling you to stay away from me like yeah it's confusing i would love to see this is like so random but i would love to see a scene with nick and emily together oh my god oh that'd be so good right that would be a good combo in a scene together especially because she like basically saved his child which did save his child Mm -hmm. physically physically got her across the border right i think they need to have a scene together i love it it's cute when June's walking out um, at the end of the episode before she knows that off Glenn is not who she thinks she is. And she's like, well, I, at least she'll be proud of me for uh, letting him win. And she has all this information. And it's just cute. She's like excited to see her friend. They've quickly made it from pious little bitch status to like good friend status. Just in time for her to disappear. Then with the off Glenn, um, when she's like telling June that she's going to find, you know, ask around about why Fred wants to see her. And she's like, it'll be okay. I'm sneaky. It makes me sad for her. There is actually a parallel in that scene. Um, June tells her it's too dangerous, which Nick tells her what five episodes later when he's not breaking up with her, (laughs) it's too dangerous, (laughs) which is, yeah, it's too dangerous. Okay. So I just, I remember that immediately triggered my watching. I was like, Oh my God. I was like, Nick's going to say that in like five episodes from now. He's going to tell her it's too dangerous. But is it really Nick and, I feel like Nick and Offlin have some parallels like that, the way they talk yeah. to her, you know? But they're just mm-hmm. watching out for her. I mean, not in the not breakup, but yeah, I guess he is. He is trying to watch out for her. He's trying. <laughs> not doing very good, but he is trying. He's not even being convincing at what he's pretending to do, as you pointed out. Yeah, yeah but maybe, um, maybe she's too brazen since... Although it wasn't Mayday that she gets caught for, so. Mm-mm. No. So maybe she's not too brazen. And that's foreshadowed by Emily herself, too, in the birthmobile. Don't trust a carpet-munching gender traitor, mm-hmm. which is exactly what she's about to get. Targeted for. Yeah, and worse. At first, I was, I, like, I, I was shocked that that's why Emily gets taken. Like, I thought she was going to get taken because she was Mayday. So then when I realized she got taken for being gay and having a relationship with a Martha and then I put t- together that Nick knew what was going to happen because he's an I then it just kind of changed for me because I don't know like I saw it differently because I do believe he's an I but he's also Mayday yeah so yeah. it's like complicated <laughs> yeah I love in in that scene in the kitchen when when she forces him to admit he's an I the way he says yes is like mm-hmm. He's, he's owning it and he knows it's horrible. Like he's like, you know, she's yeah. like, are you an I? And he's like, or no, are you one of them? Do you know what they did to Av Glenn because you're one of them? And he's like, yes. yes. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's, he can die for that. Right, and he doesn't lie. Like he's, it's just such a fucking cool character, man. Such a complicated, I mean, seriously, how could you, he's like a double agent. Like, and I don't know if I've ever really seen a true double agent story done this well. Like, I've seen a spy. I've seen spy movies. I just, I don't know. He's like a triple spy. Right. 
a spy on a spy on a spy, Max Minghella said in an interview. Um, back to episode two. My next note is when June and Offglen are walking, and June says that was my father's parish. Um, what does that mean? Or more accurately, who is her father? Do we know anything else about her father? That's the only time she ever mentions him? Is it? Or does Holly, June's mom, Holly, Holly say something? Yeah, I think Holly, him. like, didn't expect a relationship from him, like a marriage. That's what I assumed. I assumed he, she didn't know who her dad was, basically. Like, it was kind of a solo deal, just the way Holly is, that maybe that that's what she intended. Yeah, and I think that that is, like, the only time I think he has, she ever mentions her father. Yeah, so I think that's just really interesting that, that she would mention him at all, and that they would plant that there and not follow up yet or ever yeah like is he alive what's he doing yeah yeah she didn't sound disdainful when she said it so Mm -mm. they showed hannah's bapt they show hannah's they did show hannah's baptism in season Mm -hmm. three right in a later episode Yeah. yeah her dad wasn't present i mean i would assume if it was her dad's parish and they baptized hannah there her dad her father would be present if he wasn't am i like misremembering that he wasn't there no i don't think he was there yeah so i mean unless you know he passed or something um but yeah i don't know oh one thing the birth mobile we talked about it a little bit in the spoiler free but um for me it kind of reminded me a lot of uh season four episode three where they're june and alma are back in the the red van this time being taken to the colonies where they're right before Alma, um, may she rest in peace, is hit by a train, and June and Janine escape um, for no other reason except that it's a red van. But I like seeing Alma and June together. I love Alma. And then the handmaids, like, I love how they they walk through this, like, completely ridiculous fake wife birthing with June, like, trying really hard not to laugh. Mrs. Putnam is like so over the top in her pretend labor pains. Her, her like every single muscle in her face is like creased, and she's she even says she's even saying, "Oh, it hurts! It hurts!" <laughs> okay, <laughs> and it's so comical to me. But Ever Carradine is amazing. I think she's like the best actress, and we get to start to see that in this episode. Yeah. There are so many people in the show that are so good at being um, awful characters. But like in their unique ways, I love it. You know what's funny is the way she reacts to the the fake birth in her in that episode two versus how Serena is yeah. when she thinks it's her turn in two ten. Like there's, I always remember there's this shot of Serena and she just looks so happy and content. Like mm-hmm. finally, it's my it's my turn. <laughs> and I feel like it's the complete opposite of how Naomi is. Like she doesn't really she couldn't care less if she had a baby or not yeah she's kind of like going through the motions of the whole thing and serena is like this is my moment yeah i've arrived like i'm ready and then when she gets just shit on when they come in and it's a fake birth oh it's just isn't that delightful though and the look on june's face when she's sitting on the bed like Oh, yeah. sorry, Mrs. Waterford. Yeah. <laughs> I actually really love that scene. I am so not not the following scenes, but Mm-mm. no, no. But yeah, I saw the difference in those two and how they handled it too. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then they go into the real birthing room where Janina is handling um, actual childbirth like a pro, you know, like weird makeup question, but I'm curious how they do um, the sweat on Janine it just like beads on her uh you see it again you probably see it again often but most noticeably I think in the Boston Globe scene on uh June's back it's <laughs> the sweat rolling down so much sweat right I'm curious what that actually is made by yeah like is it somebody's job to just like spray them down spray I them. mean do you think it's just is it really? but it, I feel like where did like... I go wrong in life that's not my job I mean, <laughs> 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 I'll spray you yeah um and also though um babies like when babies are born they are bloody and not so I think I know from watching ER and they've talked about like when they have babies like that are born they need to cover them in goop I think they said it's like (laughs) cottage cheese and like strawberry like like jelly like to make it look 
nasty. Yeah. Really? That's really gross. Um, yeah. Yes. Elizabeth um, Moss said in an interview uh, that that's, you know, what they used when she gave birth to Holly it was cream cheese and 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 I think it was strawberry jam and it was yeah gross and it smelled yeah. I would really never bad. have guessed yeah. that yeah. Wow, she said wow. it in an interview I remember Burton LeBlanc is getting really good at um bloodying babies I think at this point yeah <laughs> bloodying people just in general like think of all the times like think of in uh is it 205 when June is in the garden she's covered yeah in blood mm. and leaves and I remember I somebody was it Burton he posted on his Instagram a picture of Lizzie and like a bathtub and the water is just blood red <laughs> <laughs> like I guess it was her cleaning up after that it had to have been that one because there were leaves everywhere too but it was just it's crazy to think about oh and it must be sticky oh and all oh. the Chicago scenes the bombing I don't know because yeah. he does injuries really well yeah very well cuts when she cuts her her tag off too there's oh, a the lot ear. of blood yeah that's a weird. lot of blood i <laughs> talked I, about I, that i read an, i read i read somewhere where how they did it i have to i have to look i know um, i remember they homework. did a prosthetic ear and they rigged up like a tube in it so that she would cut the tube and then yeah. the blood would oh, come yeah. out of the tube as she kept like cutting it open more and more yeah oh, that was very convincing it was hard to watch yeah I couldn't finish it and I'm a gory person. Like I couldn't finish it <laughs> no. and I, I love that shit. I do. And I just like, I couldn't. Yep. And I guess, I guess technically Lizzie's face applies the blood to the baby in the season four finale. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess he doesn't get credit for that one. <laughs> to go back to 210, you know, June is the one that's there for Janine mm-hmm. in that episode and also in 210 when the handmaids all come into the room for June, it's Janine that is the first one that rushes up to her. Oh, is it? Yeah, she, but she's very excited. She's like, oh, I can't wait to meet you, little one. But yeah, yeah. it's Janine that's the first one to come to her, which, They have a you know, special connection. Um, they I mean, really do, yeah. I mentioned that in a later note, how often it's Janine in the center of the handmaids. And it's always also like June standing up for her in that, like in the very beginning she's refusing to say shame here she's the only one that's like really connecting with her during the childbirth like looking at her and then it's in 110 yeah exactly yeah yeah so then she refuses to stone her so it's a recurring imagery and the friendship is clearly very deep and true to both of them even though she calls her batshit crazy janine on her way to the birthing I mean, I mean, <laughs> it's not untrue. Yeah. But she still cares about her, which is lovely. Yeah. I was going to ask you guys, do you guys think that that was kind of the beginning of um, Janine and June's uh, friendship? You know, that that moment that then we see come full circle in season four. I mean, I think that's how it's I think that was a moment kind of like where June takes Janine under her wing and cares for her because she thinks Janine is not obviously okay after everything she went through and it seems that June's a lot stronger and yeah. we see June's affection for you know for her friends you know people always say that June's selfish and she doesn't care for her friends but I, I actually don't agree I think she cares deeply no. for the girls yeah, yeah. that's not true <clears> at all um and I do agree because like that first time in the circle where she's refusing to shame her I think that's not a connection between them so much as just general shock at like what is going on here this is what we're supposed to do now like this is ridiculous she's been gang raped and we're telling her that this is her fault so yeah so I agree that that's not necessarily indicative of their friendship yet and that this probably is the first time where they're like deeply connecting and last episode you Uh, know she was like crazily telling her Moira's dead so they weren't quite that connected there either (laughs) (laughs) right yeah uh-huh. So yes, I agree with you. This is the beginning of like the deeper friendship. I I I also think that it's it's really interesting to see how we see like I think episode two is kind of telling the audience. I think I said it in the past one. What the handmaids gonna like their purpose? Like besides the rape, besides everything they go through, depending on what household they're in and the wife they get and the commander. This is basically their purpose: is just having this stupid ceremony and having their baby taken away. But you see how the ceremony goes with Janine. And then you mentioned how June's ceremony was supposed to go. But in the end, June just gives birth alone. Yeah. June doesn't have yeah. a ceremony, you know? So we don't get to see that from June's 
perspective. So I thought that was kind Which of is also, nice. Was, like, thank God. I was I know, so right? happy that we didn't she have to see that one thing. She gets yeah. to have yep. childbirths for herself. It crushes me though that Nick couldn't have been stuck there with her. I can't the car talk about it. <laughs> I'm on that episode. I'm gonna I'm gonna can it. I have very strong feelings about the end of that episode. <laughs> very strong feelings. We won't go into it now, yeah. but Nick should have been the one that rolled up in the car at the end. Is all I'm going to say. There were right. headlights. It should have been him. Let's... <laughs> Although, like, it is fun watching them argue in the house. I agree. It is nowhere nearly what we would have liked to have seen. Anyway, um, and then, like, downstairs, when the other wife, I don't know. I don't know her name. I probably should, but... So the other wife, I don't know her name. She she's like rolling her eyes hard and saying it's a bitch. Long, yes, yes. I mean, it's hard to differentiate between the wives by calling them bitches, though, because aren't they all? No, uh, not all. <laughs> <laughs> but it reminds me too of how like pissed off, like we were kind of mentioning, Serena gets when June's going through her false labor. Like the audacity of these wives, their impatience in receiving their stolen babies is so infuriating to me. I mean, Serena rapes June when she's nine months pregnant after she'd already nearly lost the baby to a hemorrhage. Oh my God. So just not just their impatience, but the extent of their, the wives inability to understand and act as real moms. Like it's mind blowing to me, biology or not. People adopt kids all the time and they treat them like actual children, you know, it doesn't need, it does not need to be biologic, but in, in these cases of these wives, they're so superficial and even their desire for children, I think is so superficial, the, the way that they act to harm the moms and whatever you get it. It's just very, very infuriating to me. I just think the baby is just the status. They want the baby because yeah. that's what they're supposed to do in their beliefs of traditional family values. If they don't have a baby, then they don't have the traditional family. That's why they pushed for that so much. So I, I just think it's a status for them. They really don't get it. They have nannies. They have, you know, they don't do much then walk around with a baby and show them around with the macaroons and the parties and stuff. It's just well, yeah. ridiculous. The macaroon pyramid. Yeah. That's the scene. Do you remember the scene? It's in, um, 213 where the wives are planning their you know their coup or they're going to go talk about you know that we should let the girls read the bible there's that scene where there's the room full of the marthas with the babies that are completely separate from the wives i don't know if you remember i always remember it i didn't i didn't but wow that's exactly yeah so they do nothing to take care of the the babies like the marthas were in the room tending to the children and they were off you know planning oh we need to go talk to the commanders so they really are not involved. You know, it, it's like Scarlett said, it's just the status symbol. Yeah. They don't want to stay up and take care of the baby. They just want the baby to exist. So that now they have power among the wives. It's, you know, it's horrible. You know, yeah. there's no reason to have a baby. Yeah. I think even in a later episode, maybe it is late season two, but oh, oh yeah, it's winter falls labor there's a commander that gets promoted because his wife is pregnant so it is very accurate and they they say they won't need a handmaid i remember yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and he's superior to everyone because of that so Mm -hmm. back to the macaroon i think it's a cone actually how they treat her like a child when she's you know again a real mom standing in front of them and they treat her like a child you want a cookie isn't she well behaved and i like that because they have no idea how not well-behaved June Osborne is. Right. Yes. She doesn't really know yet. And you see a, a peak of it when she goes in the bathroom and spits out the cookie. Her face afterwards is like rebel June face. So starting mm-hmm. to come, come around. Layers are being peeled off. Did you want to talk about, we, we were talking about the parallel with Janine, um, Oh, doing yeah. her her disassociating detached thing with Angela when she's feeding her and then June kind of doing the same thing which makes total sense with Holly after Holly was taken away and then when she's when when they bring Holly to see June right um I don't remember which episode it's in but see it's 2 12 okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I just, that was just interesting because it's like they're, they both don't, you know, she can't go through that again. Do you want to talk about that, Tina, or do we kind of cover yeah. it just now? I mean, that was it. I mean, it just shows the shared experience they all have, right, of how horrifying 
the experiences to be separated from your newborn. Although I think in the script for 212, it said Holly was supposed to be four weeks old at that point. So she'd been separated from her for quite some time. You know, it just goes to show that's the experience they all have. You know, it's a coping mechanism. Um, So it was just interesting to see it played out through two different people. Moira does that too, right? When she gives up her baby for adoption, they're like, do you want to hold your baby? And she's kind of like, no, go ahead. You know, like. And that's the difference, right? That by her, it was, was by, it was by choice. She made right. the choice. No, I don't want the connection mm-hmm. versus the two handmaids who had their, you know, their babies ripped from their arms forcefully. Um, even though I think June did have a bit more choice in it. Cause you know, when she, went out and fired the gun she knew they were going to come get her mm-hmm. they were going to take the baby but it's still just horrifying like mm-hmm. i can't yeah i can't even imagine and then to you know be away from the baby and you know maybe you're getting used to it and then to have her dangled back in front of you her reaction makes so much sense and you see it with janine that episode too you know they tr- you try so hard but instinct is going to take over mm-hmm which it does in both, you know, both cases. The hospital flashbacks. I, I love how, I just love how they do all these flashbacks amidst the episode. It's just interlaid so perfectly. But the hospital flashbacks, the uh, empty nursery reminds me a little bit of the empty hospital that Emily wakes up in in the next episode. Yeah. But ultimately in that scene, you see the reality of the fertility crisis truly like settling into June, I think for the first time as she looks around the nursery seeing no other babies yeah yeah definitely but how many like how many times can one mom have a child taken from her i think that that is like in this episode when she has her baby stolen even pre-gilead that was my reaction at the time like how terrifying is that single incident by itself completely solitary and then fast forward to the next like you know not just having Hannah ripped from her arms, but then again, like seeing Hannah and having her taken away, having her baby, having her taken away. I don't think anyone's ever experienced that most painful thing that a mom could ever go through so many times. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. I mean, literally what hours mm-hmm. after she was born, she was almost stolen. Yeah. Let's, wow, yeah, I hadn't made that connection. That's, yeah. God, that's terrible. Right. Yeah, it's like, um, complex PTSD right like is not just one trauma it's not just that you were in a car accident and now you're you know have a phobia of driving it's like repeated sustained trauma like you're saying and there's levels of it yeah yeah it's like worse it's like way worse because every time it happens it's not just the trauma of that baby being ripped from your arms it's also the helplessness that it's going to keep happening at other postings and this is your life. I mean, it's just, yeah, How it's like, you ever it's... Get past that. even if you did live happily in Canada with your children, I feel like you could never get past that many times of your children being stolen from you. Like totally. The, the, no, the it's like the absolute most maximum fear and pain. Yeah. It's, it's a really good villain. It's a really good monster for the movie, right? Like it is horrific beyond imagining, I think, you know, and in some cases, she's been strong enough to like give them up for their for her own good, for their own good, um, which I think she's probably preparing to do right now at the season four finale. And I think you mentioned this, uh, Tina. Then you have Luke saying, "Wait here," you know, when her oh baby is missing. <laughs> it's very consistent with him always trying to pretend to be the alpha male, like the "I'll take care of you" kind of guy. And with Nick, he's perfectly like happy with her as, as Alpha while while still fully pushing back and fighting with her when she's being stupid. But it just their relationship seems so much more real, um, Nick and June, than Luke and June seems quite, sort of like surface level. Yeah. Yeah. Wait here, honey. <laughs> can you imagine if in the Boston Globe Nick had said, wait here, honey? Uh, like, can you <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> like, just think of the difference. Like. He wanted her to stay, right? He really did because it was dangerous. Can you imagine though, if he had been like, "You're, it's fine, just wait here. No, I'm going to take the car. <laughs> I, I can't even comprehend him ever saying anything like that. Speaking to her in that manner, you know? No, ev- not ever. I'm just 
trying to I'm just trying to picture it. <laughs> I'm you sorry. can't, right? You can't. No. No, I can't. So going back to this episode, um, episode two, I was just thinking about June flirting with Nick again at this point in their story. You know, flashing the skin and like daydreaming about him and stuff. It's like um safe kind of because nothing can really happen like why like they're in Gilead nothing's gonna happen between them but then they get forced to (laughs) and so it's it's almost like I was thinking again about that actually watching episode five um recently and just how you know her reaction of Serena asking or not asking telling her (laughs) that she's gonna have to go sleep with Nick like part of that I think was just the realization of like, no, this is real now. Like, even though obviously there's more to it than that, but just that was part of it to me because she could like safely flirt with him without acting on it. Am I making sense? Yeah. It had, yes. been, a, yeah. It had been a harmless daydream and she loved yeah. indulging it. It was just like a little it was escape. never going to happen. Right. right. A fun little escape where it was like, oh, you know, we both kind of are attracted to each other, but like nothing's going to happen. It's the fan fiction, like you said. Yeah, it's right. Her fan. She's yeah. daydreaming little fan fiction for herself to keep herself going, which I would be doing the exact same thing <laughs> in her <Right>. situation. <laughs> what do you, I do it just to escape you? my job every day. <laughs> yeah. So Nick looking up at June, it's nine o'clock, and Nick knows that June has to go to Fred's office and he's worried about her. So he's out on the stoop, just like staring into her window, like Romeo and Juliet style. And uh, it just, you know, he's obviously very worried about her, but also just in the context of future episodes, uh, that's the first time I see his like sad head nod, which I think is a Um, uniquely Nick. Yeah. um, It's resigned. Like the head nod of resignation. Yeah. Like, okay, this is happening. Well, shit, I can't do anything. Right. And that's the first time that I ever. He also does it on their way back to Jezebel's the second time when they're in the back. Nick, oh, Nick just needs to, needs to chill. Yeah. yeah. He's like, okay, cool. I see what's happening. And I, I fucking hate everything. Hate everything. And, everything. Yeah. Yeah. and when she said, and in season three, when she's like, goodbye. Oh, that breaks oh, my heart. Oh, yeah. 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 Be nice to him, please. And oh. that was the first time I saw it. And also him looking at her window, that's one of the first times he does it, but that's a recurring theme for them is he's always watching her at her window he does it there when he comes back from canada um Mm. to tell her about Mm -hmm. luke and then there yeah yes in season three and then a cool there's a actually a twist on it in episode is it two of season episode four of season two when they bring her back to the house and you don't see him for a minute and she looks out her window at his porch and it's covered in leaves and it looks like nobody has been there. Um, that's her looking out that. at him. I didn't notice that scene. Yeah. That they put her back in her room and she goes to the window and she's looking out. <laughs> it's right before Cena, Serena comes in and like yeah, no. 92 <laughs> days or whatever. Um, she looks and like I said, it's all covered in leaves. And at that point, we haven't seen him, you know, mm-hmm. since, you know, they left each other at the Globe. So she doesn't know, like maybe, maybe they killed him, you know? Right. So then when he shows she back up in the room, it. I'm going to have nightmares. God damn yeah. it. It's like fucking midnight. <laughs> You're like in my head. Mm. But he's okay. And then he shows up and, and yeah. he's there and, you know, her world just, you know, everything falls away. They're trying to force that awful smoothie down her throat. And she's like, I don't care. Cause that explains the look on her. Like, I know she'd be relieved to see him anyway, but I did not remember that scene. And then yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. when when she's walking to to the Waterford's uh, study to play Scrabble, she does this voiceover about horror movies. I she ends that. it with like, please don't let me be the dumb girl in the I don't I don't know the you know quote right. per se. But she also says, um, what is it that he wants? And uh, she's talking about Fred, you know, like if he wants something, that's gonna be his weak weakness. So obviously his weakness is June. She figured that out, Mm. you know, and that's why she uses that amazing voice to manipulate him so easily. Yeah. Mm. Good point. She's very meek. She's very subdued. Her voice has got that like high pitch to it. Fake, yeah. Yeah, that very fake 
she does it so well and he doesn't even realize he's being played because he's so just I can't comprehend he's being manipulated I don't think I just think they make it obvious they make that boy so obvious like so overacted on purpose for us to know that he is so easily manipulated um because he's just oblivious it's the same exact way she talks to Luke in 409 when he's telling her he wants her to go back and see Nick Mm. like the the way just the tone of her voice and the way she's speaking which Mm -hmm. I think is so interesting because Mm -hmm. she's not herself there Mm -hmm. she's not and it's such a stark contrast to the way she is when she's with Nick Mm -hmm. at any point in any even in episode two when she doesn't really know him or trust him so I would describe that as docile and like placating a male's a dangerous male's ego to yes. to to get safety, right? So like, hi, honey, with a high pitched voice, and I really like the thing that you're doing, like that yes. fake shit, you know. And when she, <laughs> when she's with Nick, she's like, "Fuck you, motherfucker! You can't tell me what to do." And he's like, "I know, and that's why I love you, babe." Like, <laughs> she's you know? like truly herself with Nick. Mm-hmm. Like at all points, she always has been. Um, you can see it so clearly was- with the way she acts. It's so like the way Lizzie does it. Like it's just so like. It's it's weird how it's like you see you see her, her real personality mm-hmm. pretty much only with Nick. I mean, yeah, only with Nick. Yeah, the different levels that and, she plays, but it is very clear that the the real level is with Nick, you know? Yeah, like it's very obvious and even though we we have no Serena level and a Luke level mm-hmm. and then there's oh, this is actually June level, that's level Nick, you know. Right. And it, I think it's interesting because I feel like just the fact that we can feel that that we can feel that it's real like Mm -hmm. without having a baseline for who june is like that's so interesting to me because even Mm -hmm. like flashback june is not really june like Mm -hmm. it's it's like 70 percent june it's not like all of her in her flashback she's also i mean she's a little subdued a little bit like society wise but she still has that kick that she has you know but she doesn't really have to use it she had to use it when Gilead came around and when she kind of started navigating that world. Do you see her use it at all in pre-Gilead? The big thing to me was the protest that she goes to. I forgot how like intense she is in that scene. Yeah. Do you know when they get like, when mm-hmm. when they have to run and oh, that's the shooting starts? Shooting that's episode three. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But she's like coming, she's like very um, like fighting back kind of at the beginning of that scene and the protest. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that that was the scene to me where I was like, oh, there's June. <laughs> right. <laughs> we see the first Scrabble game with creepy Fred. And I think that's the beginning of that amazing monologue Joseph Fiennes did. Um, I think it was episode, I don't remember the episode in season four when they're talking and they're having their drink about how he helped 10. her survive. 10? 10? 10, yeah. Okay. I think, you know, that's, that first that's the beginning of that and then we get all the way to episode 10 when he's completely explaining something that only he can see because he's an idiot because it's not real Um, (laughs) because it's not it's not real so i think you know that that's also you know a nice parallel in the finale he still didn't get it okay yeah (laughs) at the moment of his death he's going why are you kissing the driver? What the fuck is this? This is sick. And and we're all just like, oh, bitch. Like, it's been happening for four years, huh? Can we fill you in on some shit? Like, did you not know, Fred? Did you not? They, they literally had a child together. A whole child. They're fucking. No, they've been Serena fucking. yelled that to her. Remember? She was oh, like, you're yeah. so stupid. You sent her off with the driver, the father of her baby. Literally. They hate you. They hate you, and he just could not. They no, hate it, it's like but, his dissociation there, right? Because like he has this narrative that him and June are in love, and he's giving her these luxuries, and she <laughs> needs him and wants him and shit, and like she plays into that, right? Anyway, the point is that fucking to the moment of his death, yeah, he's Fred still delusional. He's like the most was crushing on June and thinking she was crushing on him back. I really want to make a fan video where it just it's like a during the kiss and like Fred staring at them it's just like a series of flashbacks of like all of the times that he should have figured it out (laughs) where he's just like oh the baby looks just like his father and Nick like has the side eye yeah Nick's like uh it's like a 20 minute reel of just all of the evidence lined up and she like she also says to him in the library in one episode like 
you'll never know like what it's like to have your own baby like after she's pregnant right like yeah. yes yeah I everyone keeps telling him because the look <laughs> on her face is just so awesome and you'll never know and you'll never know that's yeah. right yeah, yeah. So and you never will it's she says like will. that's it yeah. yeah 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 and you never will and you never will after the fred scrabble game when he's trying to arrange another fred scrabble game and he and he says it's a date and then this is the next line is now i think it's time for you to go home like it's just so gross he's so gross all the time it's so yeah. you know grooming ish like you're a child and i'm i control you it's i hadn't realized how creepy he was until I started doing the rewatch because obviously (laughs) we're paying more attention and I was just like how did I miss all this I mean obviously you see it first and then you go back but it he's just like when we get further down what's episode six seven and eight oh my god it's gonna be bad (laughs) it's gonna be real bad (laughs) you know back to the whole thing with Nick we didn't really we didn't really talk about you know what he had experienced with the previous um mm-hmm. offering yeah i think um you know they call what do they call her of of dead i think is what they call her i wonder what fred had done with the previous offering to I'm have sure. nick so freaked out right and he knows how her story ends right she ends right. up hanging from the you know the light fixture in her room and he has to cut her down mm-hmm. and you i feel like you can almost see all that in his head when he's having to tell her like go to the commander you know he's like here's you know yes. here it goes again here it goes it's happening again yeah he fred like skipped the scrabble step of the coercion like because he's and i don't remember which episode we were talking about this too like um where he's he's telling june how she died like june asked, i think it's four yeah four yeah. And, <laughs> and like he's clearly trying to do it differently this time because he wants like her to live but not as like a you know i kind of felt like whatever well i guess we don't know how much nick knows about what what Fred did with the other one because it was in his uh, I guess in a study the same as he was doing with with June but like yeah I guess for me I kept thinking does he know that that Fred's playing it differently this time like does he know that it's like not that that's any better but it just I don't know do we know do you really confidently think that he's playing it differently I only think that because he said it's the whole thing where where June says and you want my life to be bearable right her life wasn't bearable and you want my life to be bearable like I feel like he's I mean yeah we don't know that at all that's that's speculation I'm just curious I I think about this and I'm I'm unclear on what I think happened because they did speak about these Latin words and I don't know I'd like to know but I don't think we ever will know did we talk about I'm not that kind of person and she's very much like oh by the way right I'm not that kind of person what came to my mind was the scene where is it Esther is that the girl (sighs) yes yeah okay Mm -hmm. where she strings up Esther's rapist like a pig in the slaughterhouse where Esther kills pigs right like that's June and then you flash back to her going like I'm not that kind of person. Like, that's what I saw. That that moment flashing in my head, I was like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. honey, you have no idea how cold and hard you're going to become. Or just, like, like angel's flight. Yeah, like, right? putting together the angel's flight and stuff. Like, that's, like, that's who she, that's, that's her arc is, like, from I'm not that kind of person. So, like, that's right. right. How far I'm, she's I'm going to go on a suicidal mission to rescue these kids. Decapitating yeah. Fred and hanging him on a makeshift wall yes. and carrying him to doing a salvaging impromptu in the woods with her girlfriends over lunch. Like, <laughs> um, meanwhile, she's I, like, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to talk secrets. You know, like with Emily, <laughs> she's like, I, I, I don't think I could, like, listen in. Like, I'm like, bitch, like, <laughs> come on. Yeah. I like that it's Emily that tells her, you know, no one is until they have to be. Because up to this point, Emily was, I think, I don't know if she had been there longer than, than June. Um, I, I don't know if that's clear on the show. But Emily's always played the longer game, I think. And she didn't have anything to lose. She knew her, her, her wife and her son were in Canada. She was basically alone. Versus June that still wanted to get Hannah. So I, I always thought that June used to be more careful about the things that she used to do until she got broken in season three. But yeah, that is, you know, after hearing that line, it was something to think about like, oh no, you will become that person. Just, just you wait. 
just you wait what's All coming right. around the corner yeah, yeah. <laughs> right like yeah. you'll see I'm it's like what does june what was... say to esther june goes like make me proud that's what i was thinking of like like season four june saying that to her herself when she's like i'm not uh... that kind of person it's like make me proud you yeah. know yeah like yeah. you're gonna grow up yeah. yeah at the end of her voiceover she also says now there has to be an us because now there's, now there's a zone. i can't talk about this fucking show because i'm always just like yeah, it's like the worst possible nightmare. It's like the most hellish, awful thing. And then, and then, and then, like we flip over to like Nick is so nervous around her. He's so nervous. It's art, though. Like you said recently, it's just brilliant art—a piece of art that's layered with all the different human emotions upon each other, contrasting each other. And there is love in this vile place, and there's just horrible shit that happens in their love, and it just. I think you're right that like that's what makes the it's almost like we wouldn't know what light is if there wasn't darkness right like yeah like it it would just be two people imagine if this was like an AU and it was just like set alternate universe and it was just like set in like dudes just like looking at each other it wouldn't be interesting but like it's interesting I was telling people before we started recording I was explaining my son is eight and last night he was we were going to bed and I was explaining one of the fan fictions I was reading and I was like, I was like, he's like, I don't understand. And I was like, no, these two people, like, it's illegal for them to be friends. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, they're not allowed to be friends. They're not allowed to hug. They're not allowed to talk. Like, and he, and it, he was like, that's wrong. That just like feels bad. I'm like, yes, exactly. Like even a fucking eight year old yeah. gets that, you know? The most basic, yeah. So we wanted to talk a little bit about the people behind the scenes too. Obviously, Bruce Miller created the show and Margaret Atwood wrote the book, so we would be nowhere without them. Um, But on this particular episode, the brilliant writing staff consists of John Herrera, Nina Fiore, and Lynn Renee Maxey. Colin Watkinson is the director of photography, so he's responsible for all the incredible cinematography shots that we've been talking about in all the episodes. And he won an Emmy for his work in... Offred, the pilot episode of the show. Uh, Well-deserved Emmy. And the episode was directed by Reed Morano, who also directed the pilot episode and the next episode we'll be watching, the third episode. And she won an Emmy for the first episode. Yeah, I think they said they owed, like, the iconic, you know, the close-up shot of the faces. June, yeah, to her. Of June. Yeah, I think they said they owe that to her. That was her Mm -hmm. vision, which is so cool because that, shot has become so iconic for the series yeah. as a whole which is yeah. super cool to leave a mark on a series like that that's just brilliant to think about you right know, that, and it's that's so cool yeah and I, I read something um also that like she was even talking about that like how they want to be like up in her face and uh, making you feel kind of uncomfortable um, and at the same time, they also need to focus on keeping the world, you know, opening up the world. And it's just like a crazy balance. I don't know how you could have that in your mind. Like even when she said she interviewed for this job that she really wanted, it seemed she made this like lookbook that's famous now. At least like a mood board for how she felt like the episode should go and bound it for them. And I would I would love to get my eyes on that. But it just sounds like she really like the second she read the pilot episode, she had this whole vision and it melded perfectly with Bruce and Warren's vision. I think I read that they had like a male director um, kind of like already not in place, but I guess they were leaning more towards towards that director. I mean, the interview doesn't mention who it was, mm-hmm. um, but that she kind of really wanted it. And um, she did the mood board. I think she 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 prepped for like 72 hours before she pitched what she wanted to do for the show. Um, so it's really interesting. That's like no time to get something as incredible as she put together. Right. You just like, some people are just like born to do like certain things, you know, that's like, amazing. I couldn't produce anything worthy of looking she... at for this show. <laughs> amount of time. Sorry, I like bad. this paragraph in the art and making of the handmaid's tale. Um, Before any set could be sketched or ground could be broken, the team knew they had to figure out the hard and fast rules of this dystopia. To do this, Miller and Littlefield worked closely with Reed Morano, as well as the two talented women they had brought on to handle costuming and set design, Anne Crabtree and Julie Berghoff. Together with Morano, the three would dub themselves the mayors of Gilead, delighting in the irony that the three women, that three women were the architects of Gilead's patriarchal society. I like that. I like the women being in charge behind the scenes and and crushing it you know oh yeah that's like 
especially for a show like this that's yeah, just incredible chef's exactly. kiss i was thinking about what i read um earlier about when she was prepping she said she used quotes from the book and imagery and photo stills from movies to do her mood board for for gilead and she mm-hmm. uses colors to to kind of determine like what's placed in gilead and and what are flashbacks um she uses colors and lights to do that and and one of the quotes she used for that prep she did was a rat in a maze is free to go anywhere as long as it stays inside the maze which I found really interesting (laughs) (laughs) got that quote so yeah I think I also read that she added a playlist like music to it too Um, yes really not to the book but yeah um and I like she literally handled every possible aspect of immersing yourself immediately like you said in such a short time frame um and we've been talking about the cinematography a ton in only the two episodes that we've recorded so far and that seems to be her specialty so anyway she definitely deserves a shout out on these episodes when you were talking about the songs um I remember she said that for 70 for those 72 hours she heard the same song um I don't know how, if I'm going to pronounce this correctly it's uh Hildur Gutnadoris without sinking was the song she heard on repeat to get ready for that um presentation she was going to do now I want to listen to it I know I was yeah. gonna say, I'm going to yeah. look it the up the song title doesn't tell me a whole <laughs> lot yet so. yeah Okay, I think that is a wrap on our deep dive into season one, episode two. Join us next week for our analysis of season one, episode three. The spoiler free will come out on Monday and the spoiler full deep dive will come out on Wednesday. So have a nice weekend and thanks for hanging out with us with Above the Garage. You know, I think about us, the three of us, what we could be. I think about it all the time. Please, it's terrible. No, it's not. I know Jim. She's my friend. I care about her. How's your day going? You look pretty. Thanks. I wore it just for you. Her father's a driver named Nick. He helped me to survive. Yes, you can, because I can't lose you. I'm not gonna let anything happen to you. What about you? Your girlfriend is a badass. 